0: Welcome to the Impact Podcast by Youthtopia. Join me in meeting the youth of Singapore who are making a positive impact to the world around them. So welcome back to the show. Today we are joined by Carissa. Carissa is one of the founders of Students for a Safer NUS, or Safe NUS for short. She started this group after the town hall back in 2019 and realised that students needed to take more action towards sexual harassment. So Students for a Safer NUS wants to tackle the way society handles sexual misconduct because... It lies deep as a structural issue and not just a simple managerial mistake. So, hi, Carissa. Welcome to the show today. Hello. Thank you for having
1: me here today. Yes. Thanks for joining
0: us. So, I think our topic today is generally to tackle the conversation around increasing awareness and around sexual harassment on a structural level. So, tell me a bit more about yourself first, a bit about your background, what you do, and then how did I guess students for Safer NUS or Safe NUS come about?
1: Alright, yes. So, um, a little bit about, I guess, myself and the work I do. Um, I want to just start by saying that a lot of the work that CFNUS is doing has been the culmination of a very, very long
2: mm-hmm.
1: journey for many of us. I think many of us have had our own experiences with sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual violence in, I think, a very long part of our life. And, and this speaks to, I think... The, ki- the magnitude of the problem that we have in our society today, not just Singapore, everywhere else we go as well. But especially here, I think there's something we have to deal with. And that's also what brought me here. La. You know, I I don't I don't pretend to speak for everyone. Mm. But at least for me, what got me, I think, into a lot of the the civil civil society, a lot of the community organizing space, a lot of the, you know, doing more developing an interest in, you know, political science and all this stuff, a lot of it came from my own experience being a sexual assault survivor Mm -hmm. at the age of, I think, 14, around there. And that kind of leads you to, you know, turn, at at that age, you turn to the institution because you trust that, you know, maybe they say that they're there to support you so you can turn to them. And then when you realise that, okay, maybe they're not able or willing to support you, and that's when you start questioning a lot of things like, what then can we do? Who can we turn to? Why are people doing these things? And is there an alternative way to, I think, organise the kind of society that we have to you know, to support our communities, to care for one another? Because clearly, there's something that's not been done in that area. And that was 10 years ago, 11 years ago, in fact. I think coming to here right now, I believe not just myself, and I always say that the work that SafeNUS does would not have been possible if not for the fact that we've got... I mean, I've got three other co-founders, very amazing people, and we've got a total of 61 members across the past two years, actually, in different capacities who have really come forward, come together and make this effort possible. And each of us carries our own journey, carries our own, I think, experiences with this as well. And that's something that, you know, we are the... This is a... As we always say, what safe in US's role here is that in instances like the town hall, like the media reports we see, like all these news reports we see, those are like once in a once in a moment, you get these things pop up in the, in, in the, in the news cycle, it's just a, like a hot topic, and then after all it just goes away. Safe and U.S. is committed to making sure that this is not just a hot topic. This is not just a moment, it's a movement. It's something that carries on for a long period of time because you have got to keep this issue on the agenda on a perpetual basis until it's no longer an issue. And by no longer an issue, I don't mean that the issue gets seen as insignificant. I mean that the issue no longer affects people on the ground on a very daily basis. So that's what Safe NUS has come about for. That's why we do the work we do. And I think um, that probably sums up a, a, a little bit, you know, very good introduction, I think, back to you.
0: Yeah, it's, mm. it's very interesting because you chatting just now, you mentioned that the initiative came up after the town hall yes. incident mm. in particular, and I would yes. say that, as a, a, stu- a student who was in university at a time where I had just graduated, right, it was a very, I don't want to say it lightly, but it was quite a watershed moment for, I think, the whole movement towards, like, equality. It
1: definitely was. Right? It definitely was. Right, right. Mm. It, it, it's very
0: interesting because I, I I want to have a bit more of a discussion around that. I guess, as a student in the US during that period of time, what were... What was the atmosphere kind of
1: like? I want to yeah. maybe chipping here by saying that mm. two things. The first is that there were many cases actually prior to, to Monica to Bay. Monica Bays, right? What yeah. made it stand out is the fact that this was the first case that gained national and international attention. Mm. It's very significant because most of the time when a case happens, the first thing we are told is don't talk about it.
2: Mm.
1: Don't tell anyone about it. Don't post about it. You got anything you turn to us internally mm. you know and this is not just an NUS thing this is what we see in so many of our organisational cultures everywhere
2: mm-hmm.
1: because and I don't fault this to a oh people want to keep it hush hush a big part of it is that people try to contain it because they don't know how to address it they feel unequipped and when you feel unequipped it's like you know you go into an exam paper of a subject you have never taken before maybe a foreign language and then suddenly you have to do that, be like, how huh, can I not take this paper? Mm-hmm. Not, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not prepared for this. So of course you'll be like, eh, you know, let me take the subject I'm familiar with, la. Let me take the take 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 the subject I studied for, yep. Same logic. That's exactly why a lot of our you know institutions, a lot of our spaces, a lot of our communities even, I think, because even in the civil society space, these are things that do happen. Mm. And how then do we deal with that? Because that's exactly why Monica Bay was a watershed, because mm. this was the first time everyone knew about it. No matter what, everyone knew about it. Mm. And this, and this boils to a, a second point, which is that Monica Bay was a watershed because most of the time when a case breaks out, and I think this is especially in Singapore where people tend to, you know, default to turning to the institutions for everything, you know, just go through the official process. Lah. In Monica Bay's case, she went through the exact official channels, went through everything that the institution told her to do. She went through all the steps, went through all the official channels, And after doing all of that for such a long time, because remember, the case didn't actually happen in 2019. It happened in 2018, I think. So 2019 was when it concluded. Just the amount of time it took for it to conclude. Mm. That speaks to a lot of it. And the fact that this was an awakening moment for many people who before that have trusted the system. And I think people look at it and realize, okay, normally we would tell her to go to the official channels she has done exactly that and it's still not enough. Mm. Something needs to be done more. Mm. And that's where a lot of people started paying attention to it. Because my impression is that, I think, and you see this even now, a lot of cases when they surface, people's first instinct is why don't you go report to the school, report to the police, report to the courts, found this thing, found that thing. Yeah, That, that doesn't do anything. Yeah. People, people have done that before. That's what Monica Bay really surfaced, I think, to the public and surfaced to the community and surfaced to the school as well. It's less about the fact that sexual harassment is happening. We all know sexual harassment is happening. I don't know if we know the magnitude of it. I don't know if we know the severity of it. I don't know if we know the full extent of the impact of it. But, I don't think anyone is going to look at this and go, no, there's no sexual harassment in our society. Mm. You know?
2: Mm.
1: It's less about that and it's more about the fact that uh, that that moment made people realise, you know, collectively, there's something we're going to rethink in how we respond to sexual harassment. Are Mm. we equipped with capacity do we have and I always bring up bring back these two words when I talk about the work I do with Safe and the work we do with Safe and and not just Safe N US, in the in, in, in the broader community, in the broader space as well, which is community and capacity. Because to support one another, you're gonna need robust, caring communities on the ground, inclusive, accessible communities on the ground. So important because currently, what's our official what what, what what's the standard channels that people get directed to whenever they encounter a case of sexuals or any other forms of distress or any other forms of harm, they're told, okay, go to this official channel, mm. call this hotline, go to this counselling centre, go to this uh this point of contact person. That's not care. That's just interim support. And I'm not mm. saying they don't do good work sometimes. Sometimes they try their best. And they try their best even with a lot of constraints. But that alone is not going to substitute for having a good community that can walk you through the whole process. These Mm. people are staff. There's only so much they can do to walk you through the process, even if they really wanted to. Mm. And they've got so many people to look after, right? So having that community on the ground, the access to that community, that's super important. Mm. That's essential because without community, you can't have care. Without care, you can't have recovery. You can't have healing. Without recovery and without healing, you can't truly have safety. You can't truly have justice. You can't truly have any of these things that we talk about when we try to address sexual harassment. Which then brings me the next point. Capacity. Capacity is what we are able and willing to do in the moment when something happens. It's how we respond to cases. Not just institutionally, but, you know, day to day as well. Mm. Research has shown, in fact, that and and I think AWARE has talked about this before, that the reason why we conduct a lot of first responder courses, mm. AWARE conducts a lot of that, Safe and US has partnered with them as well, is because the first response, first few responses that a sexual harassment survivor, a sexual assault survivor, encounters from those around them shapes the way, the trajectory of their recovery later on. Mm. It shapes ah, the nature of their trauma later on. Mm. How they're affected by it later on. And if your first response was a terrible one, everything down the line is going to be so much harder. Mm. First response is easier. You know, at least. It doesn't minimize the harm that is done. The harm is equally as terrible as it is. But at least you've got more of that support. At least you're not making matters worse, you know? it's like, um, I think there's a saying that goes, you know, like, if a person's already in the well, don't push them further, lah, right? Mm-hmm. So, same logic here, you don't throw the person down further and and that's what Safe and Use really believes in. Lah. A lot of our work is premised on community building, capacity building. It's premised on really lifting others up, lifting each other up, lifting one another, lifting ourselves up and not knocking people down, not tearing people down because mm-hmm. a lot of our account processes uh, and I don't, I don't just mean formal processes. A lot of them are informal processes as well. But both at the same time. And they're rooted in the same kind of, you know, social relations. But a lot of these things are currently rooted in, frankly, quite cruel, I think, experiences. They end up tearing people down without wanting to sometimes. And sometimes they intentionally want to tear people down. But it's another story for another day. Hmm. So that's Monica Bay case, town hall, right? Second is that, I think in NUS, uh, with, and in Singapore especially, and actually everywhere we go, I think Monica Bay case is a bit like a... People have described it as a Me Too movement. for Singapore. For Singapore? Yeah. What's what's significant about the Me Too movement in the rest of the world, for example? It's significant because prior to it, there's already been so many cases. And prior to it, it's not that people have not been reporting or talking about these cases. People have been. Nobody has been listening. People have not been paying attention Mm. And I know earlier you asked me to introduce a little bit about my background. So I'm actually currently doing my master's in public policy. Mm-hmm. Before that, my background is I'm, I'm trained as a political scientist, political theorist. And in public policy, we have this term called agenda setting mm. in the policy cycle. It's the first stage of the policy cycle, in fact, where that's the stage where an issue is identified and it's brought to the attention of both the general public, the community, and like brought to the attention of like policy decision makers and all these decision-making circles. And what that really means is that, you know, like I said earlier, these moments like Me Too, Monica Bay, they bring these to everyone's attention. Yep. They make this an issue that nobody can ignore. Previously, the issue has not ha, ha, has always been around.
2: Mm.
1: It has been surfaced a lot of times. And I found this out from interviews that I've conducted for my honours thesis as well that a lot of people have told me 5, 10 years, 15 years into the past, many, many, it's a very pervasive problem. Mm. And many, many students and staff have try to surface it. And they don't know what's been done about it. Mm. Even if something has been done about it, even if we give the benefit of the doubt, we it's pointless if we don't know what's going on. Mm. Even if something's going on, you know? That's why we talk a lot about transparency, we talk a lot about accountability mm. in the wake of these incidents.
0: What does Safe and US do now, like to help victims or survivors understand um what they need to do to keep themselves safe, what they should, what kind of um, protection they are entitled to um, and yeah, how should we be having fairly
1: little, honestly. Okay. <laughs> and um... how should we be
0: having conversations about, I guess, like this broader theme of like sexual harassment because like, exactly like you said, right, like it's it's a conversation that not everybody's o- going to have over lunch. So how do you guys incorporate that into the university?
1: Let me just share uh, what we always say in Safe and US. Mm. So, a few things. First of all, I just want to, I think, put on the table, Safe SafeNUS, we are a community of students united in our purpose to address sexual violence on mm. campus and elsewhere, right? We are people who either we have been affected by it before we've witnessed it before or we, we simply know the problem exists and we think that something needs to be done about yeah. it and we like to come together to do something about it. That's part one. Part two, safe SafeNUS, we always say that, at SafeNUS, we always say that NUS is safer when we make it safer. That applies to any space we go to. So any society we go to, even in Safe Us, even in Singapore, even in the world, this world is safer when we collectively make it safer. And if we don't make it safer, it's not going to be safer. That's number two. Number three is that, like what I said, making sure it remains on the agenda perpetually. Right? So these things, with these things in the way, and of course the fourth one is that, like I said, Safe Us is not a, just an awareness raising group. We are, we are dedicated to collective action. And I want to make this clear that we are committed to working with any and all people, Mm. anywhere, any groups, be NUS, be other student groups, be civil society groups, be private sector, government, whoever it is, who's committed to addressing this problem. If you're committed to addressing this problem, come forward, let's have this conversation, let's see how we can move forward, let's see how we can take action because it's about the action at the end of the day. Mm. So now that I've gotten this out of the way, what do we do? right? I mentioned earlier Two teams, community, capacity, community building, capacity building. That's ultimately the core of what we're doing. Let me break that down a little bit more, right? So six Safe and U.S., actually, we have six different pillars, six different teams. Our six teams, and, and these were actually formed by, through a lot of conversations. At the start, you know, after the town hall, we brought together, initially, Safe and U.S. was a very informal group. Mm. We had just a telegram group, you know, just add your friends in, and then you know, let's come for, like, random ad hoc lunch lessons to talk about where this should go, mm. And people surfaced a lot of themes. Mm. And then, you know, summer break, we all got a bit busy. We all got a bit like tired from everything. Then when we came back together in towards the fall, you know, after September, October period, and we looked at it and we asked, so how do we actually finally take this forward? And then we went back and we looked, me and my co-founders, we looked at, you know, some of the things that have been discussed by so many other people. And these were the things that we identified. These were the six things we identified. And that's what we do. So the six things are that we focus on support, outreach, research, literacy, membership, and partnerships. Mm. Let me flesh that out a little bit more, right? Support is really, I think Safe in us. we believe that there's a need for a community care framework. What do I mean by that? I think earlier I've mentioned many, many times that when a case happens, what's the response like? The response is basically, if you need help, please turn to this channel. Please turn to this official. Please turn to this point of contact. I mean, and I and I think, by the way, I, I do think that these point of contacts, there should be more of them. They should be given more resources. They should be given more publicity. They should be given more training. And people should be able to, you know, know where to go for that. But, even if these were completely robust and completely well-equipped and completely well-resourced, they wouldn't be sufficient. Because, you've got, what, 30 Two thousand undergrads and twelve thousand postgrads—that's about nearly forty-five thousand students in NUS and that's just students. What about staff? And when you add that all together, you know this is the kind of numbers that we enough to have like what two, three SMCs in Singapore. This is the kind of stuff you have a town council managing in Singapore context. But in NUS what you've got, you know, I I think that's something that we look at that and we go, you're gonna need that community care framework on the ground. Mm. And what are some of the examples of what we have done on that level, you know? Mm -hmm. How do we complement these systems by coming up student-run, student-led initiatives that Mm. can provide this support in ways that address, you know, unmet needs. Mm. Needs that remain unmet even after, even if these official systems existed. The first is, I think, and this is about to be rolled out soon, I want to really thank my team for putting in a lot of the work and thank Aware Also for giving us a lot of the support. Thank VCU in NUS, now called NCU, for giving us a lot of that support. But there's this thing we are launching very soon called the Warm Line. Mm. A Warm Line is like a hotline, but not so hot lah. uh, Because, you know, we are not trained professionals. Is that why it's called? It's it's the official term for it. It, We didn't coin the term. I see. We discovered it on that. Hey, cool. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Cool. I mean, warm, I guess. But yeah, but but that's something that we looked at. we're like, You know, this is something that we need to have because typically it's I mentioned community I mentioned community earlier and it's a lot easier if you have community to turn to Mm. but what if you have two things what if first of all your own community is unsafe Mm. because a lot of people have reported that their experience is that even when they turn to their peers let alone the institution let's not talk about an institution when they turn to their peers what if their peers dismiss their experience Mm -hmm. then there's no point
0: yep and a lot of times I think like harassment cases happen between individuals who
1: are within the same community right exactly so what happens when people are like oh but then my friend wouldn't do that lah you know or they choose to you know like like this kind of thing becomes very complicated to deal with and and that's when students realise you know we do need someone sometimes who is a bit removed from the situation but is also invested in it to be able to attend to our immediate needs Mm. I mean of course that's why it's a warm line not a hot line because you know professional training and all that and we need to be very careful with how we approach this and we need to have certain boundaries so that you know it doesn't go out of hand for both sides or whatever but that's that kind of support that you know sometimes both the institution and your immediate community cannot provide Mm. and we want to offer that and so that's something that we have you know
0: I want to touch a bit about the whole idea of, like, transformative justice, right? Mm. I mean, we've been we've been throwing around a couple of, like, buzzwords, mm. but I feel like, I mean, in, in, in a lot of cases of, like, sexual harassment and talking about, like, transformative justice, a large part of it comes with, like, tackling societal changes in, like, societal attitudes towards sexual harassment, for instance. Because I think, like, a lot of people, it, it, people think that, you know, ha- harassment is a very grey area situation, right? give you an example for instance like um some people might say like um okay like, so i think one one very good example is when i was young i was uh being pursued by a senior from secondary school who would like relentlessly like text me like follow me home like send me like gifts and like want to keep like pursuing me but some people saw it as you know people see like oh yeah i know it's just like harmless bgr this is just like him wanting to pursue you but to me, it made me feel very uncomfortable. So, I, I, I think my question or like what I'm trying to drive at is that, like, how do we kind of involve like community at large?
1: Okay. I want to address two, three things here. So, mm. first of all, is that when we talk about restorative and transformative justice, at the root of it, when we say survivor centric, that's exactly what we mean. Prioritize how the survivor experiences it first. That can sometimes have to mean and it's going to be a very difficult unpopular decision sometimes that sometimes has to mean excluding these other you know opinions about the case Mm. it's not on you to cast an opinion on the case you can make up your mind on like, like and I'm not saying people can't have opinions you know people can have opinions but it's not on you to say that the survivor has not been harmed Mm. The root the, the, the focus of restorative and transformative justice is addressing the harm. Addressing the harm by as defined by the survivor. Mm. So in your case, for example, you know, if this has made you feel uncomfortable, then that's the survivor's perspective. Yep. That's the survivor's experience. Addressing the harm means how can we ensure that you and other people will no longer feel uncomfortable in the future.
0: I, I wanna kind of like give an example if I if I mean. Please go ahead. Please yeah. go ahead. So I think I think what, what I have done in my and feel free to, you know, let me know if this this works. You think it's a good it's a good way. I think what we have done is in in my office. I think, uh, we were talking a bit about the cases, right? Just a random colleague mm-hmm. and I were discussing the cases yes. of sexual mm-hmm. harassment, and then we were talking about our experiences of being subtly harassed, like more subtle forms of harassment, um, in a workplace. And then a male colleague came, right, and. It wasn't. Uh, it was. It was. It was a very interesting conversation because he came and then he was like listening in on us, and we actually asked him, we're like, hey, you know, actually Ben, like, have you ever faced harassment? You know, because I think there was a, a period of time where there was like a a very infamous case of this, uh, elderly guy who was harassing. Uh, young secondary school boys in a certain region of Singapore. And I think quite, I know that one. Yeah, I know you know a lot, a know of cases. Of course, case. we so, know that one. Yeah, correct. So it, it, it came to me, and I was like, oh, actually, I've heard a lot of these cases in my time schooling secondary school, JC. You know, and I, I that's why we asked him like, oh, have has this occurred to you before? And then more colleagues, more male colleagues came to join. They're like, actually, yeah, you know, like I, I remember when I was in primary school, I was harassed by this guy. I was harassed by somebody on the train, you know, and stuff like that. And then I I think like the instances started to come out and I felt like it was a good space for us to tackle the issue together. Not so much like a, yeah, you know, all harassers are like one particular gender and like basically like blaming, doing a blame game kind of situation, right? It's talking from a perspective where all of us maybe have been harmed before. And I felt like that was a
1: good... Yes. Yeah, I felt like there was a good experience. Yes. No, on my that, that's exactly how it should be. That, that's amazing. Mm. That's amazing. And I and I and I wanna whoever's listening to this, you know, take a leaf out of this.
2: Take Yay, a leaf out. Of thank this. you. But I, I really
1: <laughs> do think, as an I really, really do think that this is how most conversations should, can, and should, and and actually frankly, in many spaces, are happening. Mm. We don't see them because these things are not going to be reported lah. It's true. Which is why I think it's a good job that you are really, you know, platforming a lot of these issues. It's super important. People need to talk about them. Mm. People need to know how to talk about them. <clears throat> you know, which is why earlier when I was actually talking about the six things that CFN US does, one of them I mentioned is literacy. Mm. Literacy is about having the vocabulary to talk about these things. Well, sometimes it can be very intimidating. It can be like, huh, what, what, what's all these terms? And like, and, and you know, especially for survivors sometimes, lah, after you're kind of assaulted lah, the first thing you're going you, to gonna, gonna think of is not, oh, um, did I did I, did, did I, give consent? Is it harassment? Is it assault? Is it whatever mm. That's not the first thing you're going to think of. The first thing I'm going to think of is, I feel like shit. Mm. I need someone to talk to. I, I I, need to know how to feel safe again. That's the first thing I'm going to think of. The first thing I'm going to think of is not, what is this thing called? <laughs> no. Finding a term for it comes later in the process. And that's how conversations also happen. Mm. A lot of times, you, you, you go into the experience first. You centre the experience. You you make sure the people in the group feel like they are being taken seriously. They are being listened to, mm. you know. Because I think, I, I think frankly, la, a lot of people, especially men, but not just men, a lot of women as well, a lot of non-binary folks as well, a lot of us feel like we cannot, we don't dare to say that we have... Experience sexual assault, yep. sexual harassment, in those terms, because it's a defensive mechanism. We kind of already instinctively predict that we are going, anticipate that we are going to be dismissed. Mm. So if we know we're, if we, if to us it's like, and, and usually it's not unfounded. Usually it's because in many people's lived experiences, that's all they have gotten,
2: mm.
1: even from their parents, for example. So if all they have been familiar with is I bring up something and then people are like, hey, why is you so sensitive? Why are you so deep topic? You know? Why so, you know, why you so intense? Huh? Don't talk about this. Huh? Or, kind of thing, or Or don't disturb me, nah, kind of thing. So after what people learn. People learn from these things. Okay, I'm going to be rebuffed if I bring this up. Mm. No, it's not a thing.
2: Mm.
1: I didn't experience it. Mm. You know? And people and, and that's why we end up building these walls, these fortresses, because who are we trying to keep safe from? the people who have basically, in that process of invalidating, they've done the same thing as public You know, that's why I I talked about uh, earlier about how Safe and US, our ethos on this is very, we lift each other up together. Mm. We don't tear people down.
0: I think my question is, for people who are tuning in, interested, particularly feel very strongly for this movement, what are some words of advice you would give to keep them in this space or to keep them motivated to continue to press for, you know, a larger, a better society to live
1: in. If Three know. things. Mm. Number one, people, people, people. Having the people is super important. Mm. I cannot stress this anymore. So that that's when we realise we that we don't have to feel so helpless about it. And we don't have to feel like we have to hold ourselves responsible for everything. Collectively, we can get it done. Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot, Carissa. So I just want to give Safe Students for a Safer NUS a shout out if Thank you, guys you so much
1: very interested. important we don't get a lot of shout outs <laughs>
0: <laughs> If you guys are interested and want to mm. be a part get yes, in touch with please. Carissa yes, I think you can please. find them on Facebook at Students for a Safer NUS and on Instagram at safe.nus
1: Yes uh, let us know how you want to get involved whether or not you're an NUS student would like to get in touch with you
0: This show was brought to you by Utopia This project showcases everyday Singaporeans that have made an impact in our society. Have someone in mind? Nominate that person at youthopia.sg forward slash impact.